you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ruth chapter 4? Ruth chapter 4, we're going to end and finish this beautiful, powerful book this week. Let's just look at the final verses, verses 13 through 17 together. Verses 13 through 17 together of Ruth chapter 4. God's word says this, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Listen to this. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Let's pray to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, this morning there are so many different things that are vying for our attention. There's bad news seemingly everywhere. There's human brokenness everywhere. There's a virus that is running rampant. There is conflict in the Middle East. There is division in our country. There is division among our churches. And so, Lord, it is so easy for us to allow our minds to spin out of control and to be in a thousand other places thinking about a thousand other things. And so this morning I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would focus our minds on Jesus and Jesus alone. That rather than focusing on what is broken, we would focus on him who is bringing all things back together. That, Father, instead of focusing on everything that is coming apart, we would focus on him who is making all things new. Instead of focusing on the death that seems to be around every corner, we would focus on the very source of life himself. This morning, let us take a long look at Jesus. And Lord, let our lives be completely different as a result. We ask these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever seen something before that you really couldn't unsee? Apparently you have. Especially, especially I have in my mind, have you ever had somebody... Like you've had like a favorite movie or a favorite show or a favorite song and somebody and you, you're talking about it and you're enjoying it or a favorite painting. I can remember my parents had a painting like this one and, and, and somebody comes and say, hey, did you know this was about? And then you're like, no. Or have you ever noticed in the song it? And you're like, no. But now for the rest of time, that song, that show, that movie, that picture is ruined because all you can think about is what that person told you. It kind of reminds me of a clip from a, a movie that I saw a while back. I want you guys to watch this and see if you can identify with what's happening. You like Peter, Paul, and Mary? Yes, I do. I'm a big fan. Up the magic 
great song. Yeah, one of my favorites. Who would have thought it wasn't really about a dragon, huh? <laughs> what do you mean? You know, the whole drug thing. No, I don't know. Why don't you tell me? Some people uh, think that to pop the magic dragon means they're really to, um, to smoke uh, smoke a marijuana cigarette. Well, Puff's just the name of the boy's magical dragon. Right. You ruined my favorite song. Right? Have you ever been able to identify with somebody in a situation like that? You know, I think the way that we're supposed to read the Old Testament as Christians is a lot like that, though. That, that in other words, not that it ruins the Old Testament, you understand what I'm saying? But once you begin to see the gospel on every page of the Old Testament, you begin to see it everywhere. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once it's there, once you begin to see Jesus throughout the history of Israel and to see God's hand over the course of history and how he's been at work, then you can't unsee it. And that's really been the thrust of the big story as we've been looking at is to be able to show you and to train your eyes so that you're able to see Jesus and the gospel throughout the Old Testament so that eventually as you read the Old Testament, you're not reading it as a Jew would read it without hope. You're reading it as a Christian, one who is certain of the resurrection, one who knows that Christ has come and what Christ has accomplished so that now you are reading in a way that transforms your life more and more into the image of Christ. And so what I want us to see, I think that Ruth chapter 4 is a perfect example of that. And, and honestly, my, my goal today, we're going to be taking communion at the end of the service. And so what my goal today is, is that we, through Ruth chapter 4, would take a long look at Jesus. And by taking a long look at Jesus throughout Ruth chapter 4, we would culminate that in us coming together at the Lord's table to remember Christ and to celebrate Christ and to think more deeply upon Christ. And so what I want us to see is I want us to see the gospel in Ruth chapter 4. The gospel in Ruth chapter 4. And the first thing that I want you to see about that is that God redeems. The first way that we see the gospel in Ruth chapter 4 is in Ruth chapter 4 we see that God redeems. Now, I want us to kind of really kind of reverse engineer uh, Ruth chapter 4. We're going to start at the end and then work our way back. So there in verse 16 you'll notice that it says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap. And became his nurse. And I don't know about y'all. To me, that's just a beautiful picture, right? I, I envision Naomi there, and she's holding little uh, baby so and so, and she's rocking him back and forth, little Obed, and she's singing to him little lullabies, and she's loving on him. And you can imagine that there she is, and she's doing what all grandmothers love to do. She's telling him the story of why he matters. She's telling him the story of how he was God's gift to her, to their family. And so I want you to imagine here in Ruth chapter 4 that the whole story is being told by Naomi as she holds little Obed there in the rocking chair going back and forth. And so she points out to him that this all started 
with a wedding. With a wedding that was really against all odds. A wedding that ultimately probably shouldn't have taken place. A wedding that didn't make any sense at all. That he is the result and he is the product of what God has been doing. That is only what God can do. That this isn't just the story, in other words, about Obed. And this isn't just the story about Naomi. And this isn't just the story about Boaz. And this isn't just the story about Ruth. This is the story about God. This is the story about God. This is the story about what he's doing, about who he is, about what he's up to, about what he's always up to. In fact, we should see that it's a, a story of, about a great effort, a story about great effort. Well, you'll remember where we left it off last time. Where we left it off last time, uh, Boaz had resolved that, and he had told Ruth, I'm going to see to it that you are redeemed this day. There is a relative that is closer to you than I, that is ultimately the responsible redeemer, but if he will not redeem you, I will redeem you. And of course, Boaz and Ruth are both kind of secretly not stating out loud that they hope it's the him, right? Like that they're not wanting things to really work out with the other redeemer. But he has given to her his word that today you will be cared for. Today, your issues will be solved. Today, all of this is going to go away. Now, I want you to realize that what that requires is a great deal of legwork on Boaz's part. There are a million different little details that have to come together for all of this to take place. We're talking about the acquisition of land. We're talking about a wedding. We're talking about bringing companies together. So, so you, the way that you might think about this, this was, if you can imagine, you were the executor of uh, a family member's will and you gathering all the family around and saying, look, everyone is going to have what is rightfully theirs. We're going to have the entire estate settled by this afternoon right? Everybody's coming to you like they usually do, wanting it, but you're the one always having to slow them down, saying, no, 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 that's unrealistic. There's too many details. That's what Boaz is doing. It would, it would be like your company going and acquiring a new company and you making the, uh, the announcement that the companies are going to be fully integrated by the end of the afternoon. Man, there's a million details. There's a thousand things that have to go, come together. And that's essentially what we have here happening. We have uh, Boaz a, a, a purchasing a Limelech's company and trying to integrate the two things together. But Boaz says, I'm going to make it so that it all happens today. This is going to be done. There's an urgency to him. Now, one of the primary themes of the book of Ruth and the primary theme of chapter 4 is the theme of redemption. In chapter, in chapter 4 alone, 13 different times the word redeem comes up. And you'll see in, in verse 4, it actually comes up four different times. So I thought I would tell you, and this is Boaz talking to the other redeemer, I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. And if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know that there is someone beside you to redeem it and I may come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. This being the other redeemer. So four different times, just right here, he's talking about this idea of redemption. Now, what exactly does that mean? See, there's two different uh, components that are in peril when we come to chapter four. First of all, you have the widows. 
Okay, so you have Naomi and you have Ruth, and they're in peril. They don't have someone that can provide for them. They don't have uh, sure income. They don't have sure provision of food, of safety, of protection, of, of shelter, of, of basic needs. And so you, the, in peril here are these two ladies that really need someone that can afford them the economic necessities of life. But there's a second there's a second component that's in peril here, and that is Elimelech and Malin, his son, Ruth's uh, former husband. It's their inheritance. It's their legacy. It's their name. They are the end of the line. And, and so what that means is, is now their family is not going to be able to be remembered forever. Their family is not going to be able to enjoy the promises of God forever. They're not going to live in, according to the inheritance that has been given to them and secured to them by God, like we read in Exodus chapter 6 long ago. Essentially, essentially, because of the death of Elimelech and his two sons and the fact that they had no children, the line has ended. It's gone away. And so what we need to see is that redemption is the provision within God's law. You can read more about this in Leviticus 25, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, if you want to take those down. But this is a provision in God's law that God is providing so that the family can be provided for, so that the widows can be provided for, and so that the family name can, continue, can carry on and the family can continue to know God's inheritance and continue to enjoy God's covenant blessings. And so what we need to understand is that redemption is salvation. It's the salvation of these widows in a very present, right now sense. They're going to be provided for right now. They're going to eat right now. They're going to be protected right now. And it's also salvation in a future sense. There's going to be an heir now. The family name is going to carry forward. There's going to continue to be a way in which Elimelech and Malin's name can continue on into posterity so that their heirs can enjoy the promised land that has been given by God. And so here, here, is, here is Boaz saying, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to take responsibility, I'm going to see to it. Now, if you read all of chapter 4, what you find out is he has to go to the town's gates. Okay, That's basically like him going to the Ken Joyner administrative building there in Bethlehem. So he goes to the town gates and he's collected all of the people. Ken Joyner, I can't even believe I remembered that. I don't even know where that came from. That's impressive, wasn't it? Um, so, so, so he gathers them and then he has to go out and he has to find 10 different witnesses that can come. That's what it would have taken a quorum of the elders so that they could really bear witness that it was going to be a legal transaction. And then he has to go and seek out this redeemer that is closer to Ruth and Naomi than he is so they can bring him before the elders and and uh, essentially verify and validate the deal and what's going to go on. Now, he's doing all of this in a single day, and I want you to recognize that this is happening during threshing season. We've already learned that, right? This is happening during the threshing season. This is this busy time, man. Like, this is the harvest has come up. He's got, every, he's got this, uh, the grain is stacked up. He's trying to do all the chaff, separate the grain from the chaff and do all the threshing, and he's spending the night out there at the threshing floor, working day in, day out, from sun up to sundown. And what does he say? He says, I'm going to add this to my already heavy workload. In, in, in other words, what Boaz is doing is he's essentially doubling his workload because he wants to take responsibility for someone else's well-being. 
And so what we see here is that this is a story of great effort on Boaz's part, but it's great effort that is being driven by great love. Great effort that is being driven by great love. You see, as we read throughout the the text, you'll see there, uh, he says uh, that if you will not redeem it, I'm sorry, I went too fast. If you will not redeem it, I will redeem it. I will do it. I will take the place. I will step up. I will step up to the plate. Now, what's significant about that? What's significant about that is it's not his responsibility. It's not Boaz's responsibility to redeem Ruth and the land. It's not his responsibility. There is, a, there is a, a redeemer that is closer. It is his responsibility. He's supposed to step up to the plate. He's supposed to take care of all of these things. And he's not. And so Boaz is sitting here and he's saying, he's saying, look, I'm willing to do it even though I don't have to. In other words, what is, what's being proposed here? Oh my goodness, I went like haywire there. Y'all forgive me. This, this is one of those days. But what's going on here is that we're being shown the difference in Boaz between someone who obeys the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. What we're being shown here is a man who isn't stepping up to redeem Ruth because he has to, but a man who's stepping up to redeem Ruth because he wants to, because it's in his heart to do, because he loves to do it, because he cares for her, because it matters to him what ends up with her. And so Boaz is being presented to us as the Psalm 1 man. He's being presented to us as the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. That what is driving this great effort on Boaz's behalf are these two great loves in his life. His love for God and his love for Ruth. And he loves God and he's, he's being becomes apparent that he loves God because he keeps God's law. Not because he has to, not begrudgingly out of a sense of duty, but passionately out of a sense of delight. This is what I want to do. And that love for God comes to bear in a love for Ruth. He cares for Ruth. He cares for Ruth in a way that is urgent, that is, that is practical, that is experienced, that is enjoyed. In other words, this is the essence, if you'll remember back a couple of weeks ago, to said love. To love that is extravagant. To love that is experienced. To love that is abundant. To love that, that is real life in where you are right now. So, so you have this great effort that's being driven by this great love. And ultimately, what you have is you have a great, a, a great cost that, is, uh, com- that comes up as a result of it. Great, love, great effort being driven by great love that comes at a great cost. So he goes, and this is my favorite part of the story. This is my favorite part of the story. So you have Boaz, and he's talking here, and he's talking with the Redeemer that's closer, right? And he goes to the Redeemer, and he's like, look, 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 look. Okay, let me, let me tell you what's going on. Naomi's husband has died. There's a property. You're in the line of Elimelech. You're a little closer than I am. And if you want to redeem the land, go ahead, redeem the land. It's, it's, it's going to be yours. And the guy says, what? He says, I'll redeem it. I'll redeem it. Now, for all of us who are reading the story, this is a bit of a letdown for us. This is a bit of a letdown for us because all of us are wanting Ruth and Boaz to get married. All of us are wanting Boaz to be the redeemer. And, and it feels like you've been reading this whole stinking story and now you get to it and the whole thing's been ruined by some person that remains nameless in the whole story, right? 
He said, Boaz, Boaz is a shrewd businessman. He's got an ace up his sleeve. And so Boaz looks at, her in ver- looks at the guy in verse 5 and he says, But then Boaz said, Well, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. And then the Redeemer said, Well, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Do, do you hear what's happening? So here, here's what Boaz does. He's like, look, if you want this very plush, wonderful land, all you have to do is just redeem it, and it's yours. And the guy says, well, I'll redeem it. He says, oh, but, 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 there's a but. You also have to marry the young widow, Ruth, the Moabite, the one whose husband has died. Now, I read that, and it almost reads like, you think she might have slipped some rat poison into his coffee? You know, like, like maybe she's somehow responsible uh, for the death. He doesn't paint the most flattering picture of this woman that he is supposedly wanting to marry. He's like, she's a Moabite. You know, we don't like Moabites. That, that's, not, that's not simpatico. Oh, and by the way, her husband, you know, he's no more. I mean, just hold that in the back of your mind. Are you sure you want to do that? And the guy says what? He says, no, well, I'm out. I'm out. Now, why would he have done that? What, what, what does he mean? When he says, lest I impair my own inheritance. What does he mean by that? So the responsibility of the Redeemer was not just to care for the land and care for the widow. The responsibility of the Redeemer was to produce an heir. So that the family name could then be perpetuated into posterity. And so if, if you come and you believe that uh, Naomi is the widow that's in question, we, we already know Naomi is past child-rearing years. That's not going to be an issue. And so essentially in that context, what the Redeemer is doing is he's enlarging the inheritance that his own heirs will experience and that his own heirs will receive. But then when he learns about this young widow, this young attractive widow by the name of Ruth, now what he realizes is, is that he has a responsibility through Ruth to produce an heir and then that heir is going to get the property not the redeemer and that heir will not even bear the redeemer's last name it will bear his father's last name it will bear Malin's name and Elimelech's name so that their name can carry on into perpetuity so essentially this man is going to have to make an investment he's going to have to provide for the widows he's going to have to cultivate the land he's going to have to care for the land he's going to have to provide for for an heir and then at the end of all of that He's not going to get anything at all. He's going to lose it all. So he's going to lose whatever investment he makes. And so here you can see that that this guy is quite the businessman and he's doing a cost analysis in his mind and he's trying to reconcile. And what he decides is that with Ruth in the picture, that Ruth is just not worth it. Ruth is too costly. The cost is just too high. And then there's Boaz over in the corner saying, I'll pay for it. I'll pay it. I'll pay it. I'll take care of it all. And so you see that you have this great effort being driven by great love. And here's Boaz saying, I will pay a great price. And what we have, what we have is a story that is bigger than the story we're looking at. What we have is a story that is bigger than the story that we're looking at, that what comes, becomes clear is that this story is a part of a greater story and that God is at work. See, it says the Lord, verse 13, gave her conception. If you look at verse 1, 
of chapter 4 there, it says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so the, the idea here, if you remember a few weeks ago when we said that nothing just happens, and it used that word happen, like it just happened that she was in the right field, this is the same concept. That here Boaz has to go and he has to find this one guy out of the whole town. And it just so happens, it just so happens that that guy stumbles by. And what we're intended to understand from the, from the author and the narrator is that none of this is just happening. All of this is a part of a grander story that this isn't the story about Boaz and this isn't the story about Ruth and this isn't the story about Naomi. It's not even the story about Obed. This is, in fact, the story about God redeeming his people, God fulfilling his promises to his people according to his word, God doing what God has always always said he was going to do. And let me ask you, do you see the picture of redemption that is here? Do you know how God has redeemed us? God has redeemed us. For those of us who are in Christ, he has redeemed us by great effort through painstaking providences that have been woven together by the threads of his own hand, he brought to a virgin, he gave to her a son that would be conceived, a son who would walk on this earth, knowing all the troubles that you and I know, walking and and not having a place to lay his head down at night, living the life that none of us were able to live, being able to be, be loving and caring while also being rejected by his people. A life of great effort, tremendous effort. A life that that culminates ultimately in great cost as there Jesus is nailed to the cross, unwilling to call the angels down from heaven to, to vacate the earth of all of its evil. There is Jesus, arms spread willingly, voluntarily, laying down his life, saying, I'll pay for it. Why? Because he's been driven by great love for his church. Because he's been driven by great love for me and for you. Because he's been driven by great love for his own name and his own glory. You see, if there was any other redeemer who did the cost analysis on you and me and whether or not it was worth it, it would come up. It would come up uh, absent every time. We would come up, we would come up lost every time. We would come up unhelped every time because we bring nothing to the table except expense. We bring nothing to the table except cost to our Lord and cost to our Savior. But there is our Redeemer raising his hand like Boaz and saying, I'll pay it, I'll pay it, I'll pay it. ask you, let me ask you, have you put your confidence in his payment? Have you put his conf- your confidence in his payment? Not because of how good you are, not because of how hard you work, not because of all the efforts in your life, but because of his effort and his cost and his love. Have you put your confidence in his payment? The story, the gospel continues to unfold in Ruth chapter 4. And so next I want you to see that God redeems through a son. God redeems through a son. So we see God redeems, and then we see that he redeems 
through a son. I can imagine at this point that we have our story being told by our grandmother and there in her arms, she's holding her precious Obed. She's holding her precious grandson. And I can imagine at this part in the point in the story, her getting emotional and tears in her eyes as she says, oh, my little man, oh, my little man, this is where you come in. Oh, my little man, this is where God gives you to us. Oh, my little man, this is where I get to tell the story about what you've been up to. And so he look, she looks down and she says, I want you to realize that God gave you to us as a cornerstone for our family. As a cornerstone for our family. You see, the son, the son, I want you to hold this in your mind, the son is the cornerstone. The son is the cornerstone. You'll see there in verse 13, they, uh, the, the Jews understand something that we in 21st century America seem to fail to understand, that children don't just happen. Children are never accidental. Children are not incidental. Children are not the result of a mom and a dad. Children are the result of God, of God. He says there, he says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. So here is a woman that throughout the book has been barren. A woman who has not been able to, to give birth to an heir. A woman whose womb has led to death in her family. And God wakes it up. And God puts life there. And God gives the baby. And the idea here is that through this baby, a new family is being established. That this son is going to be a cornerstone from whom a new family will be established so that they can now experience God's promises and experience God's goodness and live in God's land and walk in God's kingdom so that now they can be the objects of God's covenant love. And the idea throughout the passage of Ruth chapter 4 is bringing us back to what the Jews believed with all of their heart. And in fact, what Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord is the one that's building the kingdom. Unless the Lord is the one that is building the family. It doesn't matter what kind of attraction is there. It doesn't matter what kind of manipulation is there. It doesn't matter what kind of man-made devices are used to bring it all together. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And what is being made clear to you and I as we read Ruth chapter 4 is this is a house that God is pleased to build. And God is the one that's doing it. God is the one that's doing it. And so when he places this baby in the dead womb of his mother, he's saying in one sense, here is the enjoyment of my promise. I promised you that if you walked in my ways, I would prosper you. I promised you that you would experience my blessing in the promised land. I promised you that you would have a name among all of Israel. I promised you that. You're, this is the enjoyment of my promise. And at the same time, this is the assurance of my promise. This is the enjoyment right now, and this is the assurance for tomorrow. That I'm giving you this baby so that you can know that your name will not perish. So that you can know that you are within the sight of Almighty God. So that you can know that you are loved not just yesterday and not just today, but tomorrow and forever. I'm building a kingdom. I'm establishing a family. I'm raising up a royal nation. 
and you're going to be a part. Why? 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 Because of the Son. Because of the Son. So you see here, the Son is the chief cornerstone. And not only is the Son the cornerstone of this new family, but the Son is now the way for all to experience and to be a part of this family. So you have these three blessings that are given. And I, I love the role. I just think it's so awesome, the role that the town's ladies play um, in the story or the townspeople play. I, I, in my mind, can't get out the image of the old guys sitting around a, a circle table at Jack's. Like that, That's the way I have like given their commentary on the day. And so here's the, uh, where Boaz says, well, I'll pay it, I'll pay it, I'll, I'll redeem it. And all the townspeople, knowing that he is a worthy man and that she is a worthy woman, they begin to shout blessings over Boaz and Ruth. And they say this, they said, then all the people went out who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming up into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now this is cool, all right? This is cool. uh, I wish we had more time. I wish we had more time. Do you see what he's doing? He's taking Ruth, they're taking Ruth, the crowd is taking Ruth, and they're presenting her now as a matriarch of Israel. A matriarch of Israel. As one of the premier mothers of all of Israel. Who are Rachel and Leah? Let's just use them as an example. We don't have time to go through all three. That's the mamas of the 12 tribes of Israel. Y'all think that's a big deal? Like, it doesn't get more Jewish than Leah and Rachel. That's about as Jewish, as Hebrew as you can get. That's about as entrenched in the promises of God, as entrenched in the covenant of God as one can be. They literally gave birth to the 12 tribes of Israel, the mothers of Israel. And here are the townspeople saying, Ruth, Ruth, you are like them. You are one of them. You are among them. You are counted equal in God's eyes as the mother of all of Israel. And you're like, well, big deal, Cody. What are you emphasizing that for? She was a Moabite, man. She was a Moabite. She was a Moabite. They weren't even supposed to eat with the Moabites. They weren't supposed to touch a Moabite. They weren't supposed to hang out with a Moabite. This is the exact wrong woman to hang out in Israel. And here she is elevated. You are one of the matriarchs of the great nation that God is establishing. You know what this is like? This is the best example I could think of. This would be akin to the Democratic Party naming Donald Trump as its chairman. Y'all get that one, don't you? I I mean, this is taking someone that you loathe, someone that you detest, and you saying, I am going to elevate and exalt you to the very highest standing in all of our nation. How did this become possible? How can it be that a Moabite, the wrong woman, can be elevated and exalted in Israel? I'll tell you how. The son... The Son. Can we say amen, the Son? Through the Son, now anyone, anyone, 
Jew or Gentile can be elevated in the house of the Lord to enjoy and participate in the covenant of the king. To enjoy the promises of God. To walk in the inheritance of God. To enjoy the goodness of God. Here is a Moabite, the wrong woman, and she is elevated as a matriarch. Because, because of the son. Because of the son. And so here we have the son as this powerful, powerful picture as a cornerstone of a new family, as, as the way through which all people can now come into the kingdom, ultimately as the redeemer. This is my, this is my, favorite, my favorite part. Of, I think I've said that already, but this is really my favorite. Verse 14, y'all check this out. Remember how, how many times did I say that the word redeemer comes up in chapter four? Y'all remember? 13, right? The first 12 times, who's it talking about? Boaz. Boaz has been presented throughout the book as the kinsman redeemer. This is the one that's going to mean our salvation. This is the one that's going to redeem, except at the last occurrence. Verse 14, there's a change. Look at what it says. This is, can you all imagine that grandmama looking down at her little man and saying this to him? Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Who is this redeemer? This is the baby. This is the son. That the ultimate redeemer was not Boaz. The ultimate redeemer was the one who would possess the land. The one who would carry forward Elimelech's name and Malin's name. The one who would come from Naomi's heritage. That now she is the grandmother to the very hope of life. Holding him in her hands. He is the redeemer. Y'all, do you see the picture? Do you see the picture? There's another baby coming. Another grandson of Naomi. Read Matthew chapter 1 and you'll see. Another grandson of Naomi. And he is coming as the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone of a new family. The firstborn son among many brothers, it says. That's us, man. He's being sent as the cornerstone of a new nation, of a new kingdom. And in this kingdom, it does not matter if you are black or white. It does not matter what you did yesterday or what you will do tomorrow. It does not matter how you have sinned or how, how righteous of a life you have lived. It does not matter if you are a Jew or if you are a Gentile. It does not matter if you are a slave or if you are free. It does not matter whether you are black or you are white, poor or rich. What matters, what matters is are you in the sun? Have you been redeemed by the Son, because if you have been redeemed by the Son, He is the cornerstone, and you are the living stones through which He is building His kingdom. That's Christ. Do you see the gospel here? Do you see the gospel? Oh, you can't unsee it, can you, church? You can't unsee it. Don't ever read Ruth chapter 4 like some fairy tale. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. This is your hope and this is my hope. And the question that it compels me to ask you is, have you been redeemed by the Son? Have you been redeemed by the Son? Have you 
entered into the kingdom, regardless of who you are, maybe you are the exact wrong woman or the exact wrong man, but have, have you entered through the Son? Because He has made a way. And if you will enter through His way, you will be received into the kingdom. And that brings me to my landing point this morning, that God redeems through a Son who resurrects the dead. Come on, Biela. Who resurrects the dead. Now remember, the deal here is twofold. There's the concern of death now. Elimelech is dead. Malin is dead. Killian is dead. Death has reigned throughout the book. Death seems to be in control throughout the book. Death seems to, be, seems to be something that everybody is lingering around every corner and that they don't know how to control. And the whole book seems to be written as a response to death. The concern is that Ruth and Naomi won't be provided for and that ultimately what will happen? They will die. But it's not just death right now. It's the concern of death forever, of an eternal death. The Jews understood that the, there was nothing more important in their culture and in their understanding of who they were in God than to have an heir who could carry forward the promises, carry forward the name. And to have your name scrubbed was eternal death. It, it, it was an eternal annihilation of your family line, of your future hope. And so we come to chapter 4, and the question is, is what are we going to do about the death? What are we going to do? Do you remember what we said uh, Naomi experienced in the beginning? She goes away, and her name means what? It means pleasant. She comes back, and she says, don't you call me Naomi anymore. Now I am Mara, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She, she goes away, and she says, I went away full, but now I have come back, and I am so empty. What's the response? Listen to what it says. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than to you than the seven sons, has given birth to him. Who is him? That's the son. That's the son. What is the son accomplishing? The son is accomplishing a restoration of life. What is a restoration of life? It is a resurrection. It is a resurrection. That what we have taking place in chapter 4 is the unraveling of death, the reversal of death, the overcoming of death through a son who restores to life that which has been destroyed. that doesn't get you excited. So what we have in chapter 4 is the one who became bitter becomes pleasant again. The one who was emptied is filled all over again. The one who has been abandoned now holds in her arms her very hope. Death right now has been overcome. Death forever has been eliminated. Why? 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 Because of the little boy she holds in her arms, rocking in that rocking chair. What we read and 
Ruth chapter 4 is nothing other than Romans 8.28 playing out right before our very eyes. Y'all, it is not a New Testament concept that all things work together for the good of those who love God. It is a Bible concept. It is a God reality. This is what God has always done. The New Testament only prescribes what the Old Testament has already described. What hope did she have? She had the Son. She had the resurrection. What hope did she have right now? It was that she had the boy right now in her arms. She was holding him. She was looking at her restoration of life. What hope did she have way after she stepped out of this life and into the next life? It was the son, this restorer of life. What hope do you have? What hope do you have that Romans 8.28 is true? Those of you right now who have been changed from pleasant to bitter. Those of you right now who have went from full to empty. Those of you right now who have went from life to death. Right now, those of you who are grappling with loss, what hope do you have that it is actually true that all things work together for the good of those who love God? You have the Son. You have the resurrection. The resurrection is the first fruits of what will be ultimately understood one day. That God is in the process of overcoming death and that God is overcoming all of the brokenness in our world and all of the division in our world and all of the pain in our world and all of the tears that we shed and all of the sorrow that we experience that God through Christ and because Christ has raised from the dead is restoring life to every part of his cosmos so that one day all of it will be beneath his reign and we will say worthy is the lamb who was slain. Look at what happens. The very end. Verse 16, verse 17. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What is the covenant that God makes with David? That his throne is going to exist when? Forever. Forever. And who's his great grandma? Naomi. She's secure, y'all. She's not going anywhere. She is secured in the goodness of God, secured by the promises of God, secured by the provision of God, and you are secured the very same way. You see, 3,000 years ago, she held that little boy in her arms and he would give birth to a great king. But a thousand years after that, a virgin would give birth. God would awaken a womb once more and he would place in there one of her grandsons and there, there, he would come and she's holding this little baby in her arms and the reality is is there's a baby that's coming that's going to hold her in his arms and elevate her so that she can be among his brothers and his sisters, and his kingdom forever. And that's your assurance. And that's my hope. That God redeems through a son who resurrects the dead. Namely, us. Let's pray to the Lord together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. 
You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.